leader. In fact, if you read all the, all the places where this is being described in Scripture, you will find that in Luke, he says that they continued bickering after this. That they continued. So, so think about it. Right up until the crucifixion, that night as Jesus is taking them from the communion service, from this service we're about to take part in, after he washed their feet, these same guys are still bickering over who's going to be the boss in the new kingdom. Are these not our brothers? Jesus' disciples don't get it. And yet there he is, the God of the universe, maker of these feet, maker of the dust that is on them, maker of the water that will cleanse them, the maker of all of these things, washing their feet, running his fingers between those dusty toes to get the crud, the sweat gathered between their toes and their the thong of their sandals sort of dug in deep behind them, washing it off, getting them clean, praying over them, asking God to pour out a blessing on them because they just don't know. Man, these guys are ignorant. They are our brothers. They are so much, we are so much one. Our ignorance is so much greater than our understanding. Can we admit that? Great big God, little bitty brain. King of the universe, this much gray matter. Maker of the galaxies that multiply and multiply and multiply and multiply as we look out into space. This much brain. Our ignorance far outweighs our understanding. And yet, the God of the universe bends down on his knees before us and says, please, come home with me. Please, come home with me. And we bicker. And we strive for position. And churches do it too. We're still doing it. People trying to to climb up the sort of invisible ladder in the church and get sway over what's done and decisions that are made. We still do it, don't we? And there he is. Washing the feet. He knows all about these guys. He knows they're completely ignorant of who he is. It is after this experience, in the next chapter, John chapter 14, where the the man in the middle of all of it, Philip, who will be able to go to the Ethiopian eunuch and explain all of this in just a short while, says, just show us the Father and we'll get it. We'll understand. Just show us the Father. Remember Jesus' statement? Philip, you've been following me for three years now. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Slapped him on the back of the head. My version of what happened. He knows that Philip is not the only one who just doesn't understand. Who just doesn't understand who he's dealing with. 
When you kneel down and you pray, are you sure who you're praying to? Are you certain of His authority? Are you sure that this is God? Are you sure that if He can hold together your biology, He can handle your life? He can handle the movements and things that are going on? You know, our world seems so out of our control, right? So many other things weigh in on things. I was at a, at a coffee shop this last Friday visiting with one of the young pastors from our, congr- from our uh, de- denomination here in Northern California. And as we were talking, he got a straw. No, you'll be happy. It was paper. And I thought, even straws. Someone else controls straws. Our life is controlled by so many things that we have no influence on. But we serve God, who is in fact in charge of the entirety of the universe. And hasn't forgotten us. And he washed their feet. Smiling to himself. We've been together all this time, Father, but they still don't get it. He scrubs off a little mud. Wipes the side. Massages that foot a little bit. Just wishing that their eyes might open. And they might see who's kneeling there in front of them. Just, just clearly for a moment. He knows. He knows that some of them are unwilling to believe that the cross is coming. You remember the story. They're up there at Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi, looking at all of those temples along the hillside, water pouring out from under the temple to Apollo. And as they're sit, looking at that, the temple to Pan, and all of that stuff that's there, spectacular. He turns to them and he says, Who do men say that I am? They get the right answer. Peter gets the right answer. Good job, Peter. Blessed are you. You get it. Now, we look at this and we're like, okay, what's the big deal? He gets it. No, no, no. They don't get it. So it is. Wow, there's a moment of revelation. You get it. You got it. Yes, you understand. I am, in fact, the Messiah. And as he washes Peter's feet, he remembers that just just moments later, he said, and I, the Messiah, will go to the cross. And Peter, I love the, I love the temerity of this guy. Have you ever taken God aside for a talking to? Admit it. Some of your prayers, you have taken God aside in prayer and said, look, I, you're supposed to be taking charge of things here. The pastor says you're in charge of the universe and... You're supposed to be in charge. Ever taken him aside? Taking him down behind the woodshed for a little talking to? These are our brothers. These are our people. Peter takes him aside. He says, God forbid. <laughs> Impossible. The God of the universe would not allow this to happen. Jesus says, whoa, man, this is, this is the worst temptation since standing out in the desert, starving, thirsty, and being asked to turn the, water, turn the stones into bread. 
and he washes his feet. This is the guy who refuses. I don't want to be washed. Don't wash my feet. You can't do that. He's washing Peter's feet because he said to Peter, Hey, Pete, you don't understand. If I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. Peter says, then watch all of me. You know, Peter, he's all in or he's not in at all. These are our brothers, aren't they? Some of us are hot or cold. There's no in-between for us. We're here every Sabbath. We're here for every meeting. We're volunteering for everything. Or we're home in bed. That's it. We only have on and off. We don't have anything in the middle. We have no balance. And as he washes his feet, the words have just left Jesus' mouth. Peter, a man who's been cleansed, been bathed, been baptized, been washed, needs only to have his feet washed to be completely clean. True physically, right? True in the real and the now, right? If you took a bath that morning, you were clean. And if you wandered around the streets in your sandals, by the end of the day, your feet were dirty. And you needed to only have your feet clean to be completely clean. True in the spiritual. That once you have been cleansed by Christ, there is an ongoing process, a continuous process of return and repentance and cleansing. There's a continuous process of going back to God and connecting with Him day after day, moment after moment, returning to Him with the things we want to have given over to Him and washed away from us. That's how we stay in connection. That's how our our walk with God continues. That daily bit. Washes Peter's feet. And he prays. Oh, Father, I know what he's about to do. Don't let the devil win. Remember, he tells Jesus, he tells Peter about this. I I prayed for you. I prayed for you that after your denial and your repentance and your return, you'll lead your brothers. I prayed for you. This is that moment. Prayer. He washed his feet. Knowing where those feet will go, he washes them. Knowing the denials that are coming, he washes them. Why? Because Peter's already forgiven, covered by his grace. Jesus already has extended to Peter the grace for the moment that is to come. Remember, wait, don't check out on this. Remember that the day God accepted you into his, his, his family, onto his team, he knew that day your worst day. The one that would be the most embarrassing to the family from that day forward. He knew it when he accepted us. And he accepted us anyway. Pre-forgiven, covered by his grace and assurance. Invited into a relationship that will be transforming over time. Because these brothers of ours, they're not very good church members. We would not choose them to be elders in our churches. We probably wouldn't let them be, be volunteers in our churches. They're just such a messed up bunch. And there he is, washing their feet. These guys, among them is Peter, whose denial is assured. Think of it for a second. Jesus sees prophetically that this denial is assured. 
and he washes his feet. He knows that among them is a traitor. He knows which one is the traitor. And he comes to Judah's feet. Would this be the hardest one? Maybe. You see, there's something about Judas that we don't often think about, but Judas understands who this is. Judas at least understands the power of Jesus. He at least understands the authority of Jesus. And so as, G- as Jesus comes to his feet and begins to wash it, he says, he's, he's, he's praying for, for Judas, knowing what Judas has done, praying against Judas' rebellion, praying against Judas' commitment to follow through with this act, praying against Judas' unwillingness to repent on the other side of it, praying that he will come back no matter where he wanders off to. But remember what Judas is doing. Judas has a plan. Judas has a plan to outwit Jesus. These are our brothers. Judas has a plan. And the plan is simple. Get Jesus into a position where he has to reveal himself. I'm going to force God's hand. I'm going to back God into a prayer corner that he can't get out of. He has to say yes to me. I'm going to read so many texts to God about the promise that I'm wanting to claim that he has to do what I say. These are our brothers. And there is Jesus washing his feet and praying for his salvation, praying against Judas' desires and against Judas' choices, praying for the powerful influence of the Holy Spirit, Remember, God leaves Judas the opportunity to change his mind. Remember, Judas doesn't have to go through with this, and Judas can repent of it. And Jesus prays as he rubs a little dust off the heel, cleans that crack that's so deep there from wearing sandals all the time. He prays. And even the prayer of God, listen, Even the prayer of God doesn't take away his free choice. Even the prayer of God doesn't take away the free choice of Judas. It would have been so easy to do. It would have been so easy to do for the Creator. But he leaves the freedom to choose in Judas' hands and prays against the choices ahead of him. The twelve that night are a mess. But Jesus is the answer. Peter sort of brings the climax to the meal. Jesus has shared the meal with the disciples. They've talked about it. They've been around the meal probably for an hour, hour and a half, maybe two hours now. They've been talking. They've been there. Jesus begins to talk about the denial that is to come when Judas leaves the room. Peter says, I will not deny you. I don't care what the rest of these guys do. I'm on your side for good, forever, for, for, from now until eternity. I'm in. These are our brothers. These are our direct declarations. These are our approaches. These are our people. I'm never going to do that. I will never fall 
again. And Jesus says to him, You will lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. That's the end of chapter 13. Remember that the end of chapter 13 is punctuated by a a man riding back and forth between London and Paris on his commute. He took the Bible and he went through it and he added chapters and verses. And he thought this would be a good place to make the break. The problem is he misses the redemptive voice of Jesus in the very next line. Chapter 14, verse 1. So chapter 13 goes, And Jesus answered to Peter, You will lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. But do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house, Peter, are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you, Peter. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you, Peter, unto myself. I know about your denial. But your eternity is in my hand. You've given your life over to me and you can trust me. You can follow the Father. You can follow me. And the end of that following will be, in fact, the kingdom in a place prepared for you. When you read 13, please read the beginning of 14. Because they are one thing. And if you stop at the end of 13 in your devotions, you're going to leave poor Peter hanging there on the words, you will deny me three times. Peter's heart will still break when this prophecy is fulfilled. But he does not, he does not close that moment without hope. Because Jesus says, hold on. Before you melt in your spot, don't forget. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled about the fact that you are going to create one of the most memorable moments in Christian history. And it's going to be on the wrong side of it. You're going to deny me three times, but, but, but I already knew. When I let you become a disciple, I already knew. When I called you, I already knew. When I told you there at Caesarea Philippi, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, on such confessions I will build my church, I already knew. And I still know. And I've been praying for you. And I have seen that on the other side of your denial will come your repentance. And on the other side of your repentance will come humble leadership in the church. These are our brothers. So often our best years are the years after we fall flat on our face. So often our best years of leadership are the years after we recognize our failures are so colossal. Often our best years are the years after we've been humbled. Because in humility, we lead like Jesus. Jesus would be heard in the voice of Paul when Paul is saying in his own apostleship, I need you to take away the suffering that I have because I can't deal with it anymore. It's ruining everything. 
And Jesus will be heard in Paul's testimony after he said, I can't deal with this anymore. He said to me, Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. All the all the disciples are like us. They're a mess. But these are the disciples of Jesus. All the disciples are like us. They're fallen. They're weak. They're struggling. But these are the disciples of Jesus. All of us see ourselves in these guys, but we are the disciples of Jesus. We are the people who are following the one who has the answers. We are the ones who came because we knew of our need not of our sufficiency. Christianity. Christianity is built on the recognition of my problem, not my answer. It's all the difference in the world. Jesus opens the Sermon on the Mount in the statements of blessing when he says, blessed are those who recognize their spiritual poverty because as soon as they do that, the kingdom of heaven is assured to them. See, they're pre-forgiven. They're assured. They're covered. They're washed. They're bathed. And grace becomes the umbrella of their life. He speaks to me. when he says the kingdom got to be yours when you recognized your need of the king. The kingdom was given when you recognized your spiritual poverty and that you could not provide the answer for yourself. These are our brothers. This is our Jesus. What we celebrate today is all of that. Sometimes we long to be like Israel and be invited back for these great feasts three or four times a year. Can you remember that every week you're invited to come back and recognize that he is the created or he is the creator and you are the created? He is God and I am not. That's what the Sabbath is. The Sabbath is me coming into this moment, into this space and time, this temple built on a 24-hour block, it's simply me stopping, turning over the reins of everything in my life, stopping, backing up from the, world's and it, the world and its culture for 24 hours and saying, hey God, I forgot for a while there that you were actually God and I was not and that you're in charge and I'm not and you're the creator and I'm the created and it's okay, I'm taking a break. Here's the reins, here's the steering wheel, I'm out, thanks. I'm going to take a break now. That's it. That's what it is. It's that reminder. Every seven days. We don't have to wait for the feasts. You can feast every week. You're invited every week to drop the reins, party with God, and relax. And I do mean party with God. Call my Sabbath a delight. Every week. 
quarterly here, but as often as we do this, we're invited to come to the cross and recognize the all-sufficiency of Jesus' sacrifice and the insufficiency of ours. To see in the emblems we're about to take how much all of this cost God. How much His forgiveness cost Him and how it didn't cost us anything. We're going to gather here as the deacons come forward and Pastor Tim joins me. We're going to actually take part in these symbols. In front of us is some bread. It's very symbolic bread. We know it's symbolic bread because it's not like our regular bread. And a tiny little bit of grape juice. As we take these symbols, we take them in full recognition that these are representation of what it costs God to have us go home. So I want to invite you as we take it to, to embrace that reality. If you're new to this group, if you've never walked into an Adventist church before, or if it's been a long time, remember that we celebrate open communion. Open communion simply means no one is denial. No one is denied. That these symbols of the sacrifice for Christ cover everyone. So if you're here today, you are welcome to take part in communion with us. Paul, Paul in writing to the church at Corinth, to a group of people who were bickering and fighting and judging and using things in the wrong way, just reminds them, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup. After supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, what an amazing gift. To be reminded that today, in this simple act of eating this bread, we are proclaiming your death. And moreover, Lord, we're proclaiming your resurrection, the power that you want to instill in us through this sacrifice. And so, Lord, today, as we take part in proclaiming your death and resurrection, please remove all that stands in our way. Remove ourselves, remove the sin, remove the mistakes. Let this be that 
foot washing experience, that just reminder that, Lord, you are king in our life. And so as we eat this bread, Lord, may you bless it. Not the bread itself, Lord, but what it represents. May your power just fill us. May it be a reminder that you are God and we surrender to your will, that we want you leading in our lives. We ask these things in your saving name.
on that night. Jesus said, Take, eat, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. the table that night there's a cup it's a cup that's been shared for Passover in Passover there's a a set of cups to be drunk the present tradition is to set a place for Elijah we don't know for sure if it was there in the first century but there seems to have been an extra cup and Jesus took the cup And he blessed it. And as he had said of the bread, he said, this cup has a new significance. It's now the symbol of my blood, which will be spilled for you. Would you bow bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, we recognize what we have here is one of the most significant symbols in Christianity. That it is a reminder that it cost so much for our forgiveness. That the cleansing didn't come easy. That grace is never cheap. That it cost heaven the death of his son. That it caused separation in the Godhead that had not been there in all eternity. And as we take this symbol to ourselves today, we are grateful for the cleansing of Jesus' sacrifice. And we accept it. And we gratefully remember what it cost you. Amen.
the cup. He said to his disciples, each of you drink of it. John, when in vision and writing the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ, saw a vision of heaven. And in that vision, he saw each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Then I saw a lamb, and he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands upon ten thousands. They encircled the throne And the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. So grateful for your sacrifice. We join with those who stand round the throne proclaiming that you are worthy. As a church, we recognize our unworthiness. As individuals, we recognize our sinfulness. We are so grateful for your grace. We are so grateful for the purchase of our eternal life. 
And we look forward to that coronation day when we can join with the angels singing of your worthiness. Thank you for your death, your blood. Thank you for the glorious resurrection of that new morning. Amen.